0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater.
2: And I'm Daniel Janine. I am a producer at Eater. And Amanda, this week on the show, we are talking to Chef Helen Nguyen. She just opened— I don't even know what to say. She has a restaurant, Saigon Social, uh, which she's been testing for a long time. She's been doing pop-ups and you know an amazing Vietnamese restaurant in New York City. In New York City, and uh, she's had you know issues opening it for the past eleven months with gas, with t- everything you can imagine going wrong with an opening. She finally was ready to open it, and of course, it's like it. It was you know, the final thing that went wrong was. Coronavirus,
1: But she has been cooking over the last few weeks um, for her community, for hospitals. It uh, sounds incredibly exhausting. And I think that's what we keep hearing again and again and again from restaurateurs around the country who are doing this hard work and, you know, trying to support themselves and also the people around them that it is just so tiring.
2: Yeah. I think the thing to take away from this is like, there are, there are days when nothing happens and then there are also infinite people asking you for shit. And yeah. especially if you know, she says yes to a lot of people, she obviously just wants to feed people and just hearing the different ways that she's being, the different directions she's being pulled in uh, with the delivery apps, with charity work. It's just like, it's fascinating to hear what a, a quote unquote open restaurant or attempting to be open restaurant is going through right now.
1: So we are going to talk to Helen, and then we are going to talk about the state of the universe and maybe some fun, uplifting stories.
2: Yeah. Martha Stewart's a waste case, but in a very lovely way. In the best Uh,
1: possible way.
2: uh, People are feeding people through buckets. It's, you know, the the world is okay. I mean, it's not, (laughs) but there's some fun things going on.
1: Yep. Anyway, uh, if you like the show, please give us a rating. Please tell a friend. Please, if you have any questions, write us at digest at eater.com and let's get into
3: it.
2: All right, so Chef uh, Helen Nguyen, welcome to uh, the Digest. Thanks for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me.
2: Could you tell us a little bit about opening a restaurant and how <laughs> in the last few months?
4: Well, It's been an adventure, to say the least. (laughs) We waited about 11 months just to get our gas services turned on. It was like this whole ordeal with Con Edison and a lot of frustrations. And the day that we got our gas turned on was pretty pretty exciting. Mm. Uh, I mean, to be able to stare at the appliances and see flames come out and actually cook from them and not induction burners was a huge victory for me. And so we quickly started training and then retraining and then hiring and then rehiring. And we're very excited for a March 13th opening. And then the whole mandate of the 50% occupancy kicked in.
2: Yeah. And this is your first restaurant.
4: It's my first restaurant. I don't know what I'm <laughs> doing. Sucks. And then I thought I knew <laughs> what I was doing. And then I was like, okay, now, 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 yeah. now what do I do? Just literally three days before our soft opening, I, I felt completely confident with um, both the front and, the, and the back of the house team. And I was like, okay, this is, this is it. We're ready to go. We're, we're gonna, you know, yeah. we're gonna start. And then I had to go back and tell them that I'm really sorry, but I, I don't think I'll have a job to offer you after this weekend. So I sat down with everyone went and had, um, you know, we had like a deep cleaning session. I told everyone to cook whatever proteins we had in, you know, in the walk-in, which was a lot because we were prepared to have a, a pretty strong and, and pretty busy couple of days of friends and family and just having people in the neighborhood in and um, and then as people were working, I called each employee in um, and had a conversation with them one on one. We went over all of their hours. I gave them a last paycheck and gave them some extra cash and basically told them that you know you know what I. Don't know if we're going to be open next week. This might be the last day. Um, And I know that even though we haven't even started, I just don't. I just don't have a good feeling about this. And I'm really sorry. And you know, if they had other job opportunities elsewhere, then please, you know, don't let us. You know, don't let this delay be a factor in you know moving forward. Because at the end of the day, people have financial responsibilities and obligations. So it was a very hard conversation to have. And, you know, they left and they packed all the food um, with them and I stayed back and I stared at the wall for like the remainder of the day. And Mm. I think I probably bunkered up in, in the restaurant for three days and was just cooking up a storm with whatever I had left. And my fiance who was also my partner was like, who are you cooking for? I'm like, I don't know. I just, this is just my way of just mourning or just coping. And, You know, I don't, the only thing that really soothes me is just being able to be in the kitchen. So I think I just needed that time just to process and reassess. And um, as I was in the kitchen alone, I'd see a lot of neighbors come by and they'd peek in. And, you know, my, one of our gates was open because I left it open just so that we can um, still be able to receive mail. And uh, I'd get knocks on the window and I'd open it and it'd be my neighbors like, oh, hey, you know, are you open? I said, no, but I did make a pot of soup today. So if you want some, I'd be more than happy to share it with you. So then two to three bowls, you know, a day turned to a dozen, two dozen. And I figured, you know what, maybe I'm going to try this takeout thing since there's a little interest. And if it just means me feeding a dozen of my neighbors upstairs, you know, I'm going to do it just because you know, what else am I going to do? (laughs) You know, while we try to figure out what's going on and how the government's going to be handling things. And so have you, have you just been doing takeout ever since? I've been doing takeout ever since the first week. I said the first five days, it was just me. I was the one answering the phone. I updated our phone number, which we never did before. And the phone was ringing. I was like, this is really strange, you know, like having to answer the phone and then also having to cook, and then also having to take orders. And so it was a one-man ban for the first four or five days. And um, we've been really lucky with the support of, of the community, mainly just our neighbors. And so I decided, okay, well, you know, maybe I'll diversify the menu a little bit and not just offer chicken pho or just, you know, grilled protein over rice and maybe offer two to three things or four things. And with that, I would be able to bring on you know maybe one of my prep cooks and be able to provide hours and you know at that point we weren't making any money and we still aren't making any, any money but if i'm able to stay afloat and just be able to pay for the food costs and be able to take care of just like one employee that really was what kept me going and you know pushing forward and for that first week that we were open it was mainly neighborhood people that are within walking distance that look upstairs And I had so many requests for deliveries, but we just couldn't handle it. I think about, you know, the insurance and then having to hire like a driver and it all just didn't make sense. It just, I I just couldn't afford it. So then I reached out to, I started actually researching. Um, I had a few people reach out from Grubhub and from Seamless. And then um, I did some research on my own and um, decided to sign up with Caviar because they had a... promotional discount for the first 30 days
2: you went with caviar because they offered you a free month
4: yes caviar and doordash i mean um from what i understand doordash um acquired caviar a couple months ago yeah although they're operating under the same umbrella they're very different in terms of um, the services that they provide the support that they provide um and both are offering a promotional 30-day period which is ending actually next week so then I have to make a decision as to whether or not I'm going to continue because with the menu that, you know, I mean, our menu changes quite often because I'm just using whatever resources I have. And even with our purveyors, there's some days, you know, there there's, they'll have produce and some days, you know, they won't be able to have um, the things that we request just because their supply line isn't working um, or has some kind of delay. So with that, you know, that kind of dictates our menu and, I created the menu with the community in mind. So we're already offering very discounted prices. And so you think about the high commission um, that these delivery companies are charging, there's just no way that I would be able to continue because I'd be operating at a negative. What
1: are the commissions compared to one another? Like caviar versus...
4: 30% is the standard. I know that a couple days ago, there were some announcements that were made that they were offering a 50% discount um, through the end of, I believe, May, but still you're looking at 15%. And with, with where I'm at right now, our margins are pretty much, there are no margins. It's like I'm working just to, to provide hours and just, it's, it's really at a break-even point for me. I mean, I haven't even looked at our latest utility bill. So, I mean, I, I don't know what that is. And, you know, I mean, I've been able to factor and control certain food costs, but in terms of utility, uh, I haven't had an opportunity to sit down and update um, to see what, you know, that's, what that cost is and if it's even responsible me to, for me to continue operating um, after everything is said and done. So I don't know, I, I've really just been taking everything on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, Not knowing Mm -hmm. what, you know, like if we were to completely cut off, you know, caviar and DoorDash because of the commission rates, um, how many people are actually going to drive or walk or, you know, be able to come and pick up their food? Because that essentially will uh, be the deciding factor of whether or not, you know, we would be able to continue. Uh,
2: What what are some of the the aspects of delivery that have been challenging? Like, what's it like? picking up even takeout containers and stuff. It's, it's crazy.
4: It's crazy. I mean, like I started doing restaurant Depot runs just out of boredom and it just was a sense of comfort for me. So every morning around seven o'clock, I pick up a rental car for the week and I would drive down and just kind of wander between the aisles. And sometimes I would purchase things. Sometimes I wouldn't purchase things, but just being there, just felt like it was a routine. And um, I mean, the first two weeks was relatively accessible. I mean, all the containers that I usually use were available, but in the last four to five days, my restaurant ones have been very frustrating because now a lot of the shelves are starting to be empty. And um, as I'm talking to a lot of the employees there, they used to be able to tell me, oh, okay, on Tuesdays we get this, on Thursdays we get that. Now they're like, we don't know when we're going to get this or if we're ever going to get it back, just mm-hmm. because of the way that things are right now. Wow! So then, this morning I went and I hoarded as much as I could <laughs> fit into the the truck bed that I have, and I plan on doing another one later on this afternoon. Just you know, just with you know that vision of the empty shelves in mind, thinking that okay, if I'm going to continue this, um, I need to be able to provide containers to you know, that would be, that could safely transport the items that I'm providing.
1: How long do you think you'll be able to keep running the restaurant like this?
4: For as long as I can continue feeding people. (laughs) Um, We've been very fortunate to be able to partner alongside with some organizations that have been able to provide some stipends and funding for, you know, to be able to, you know, per plate to just to help with some of our costs. Um, But again, it's like, if I'm not able to purchase these containers, these to-go containers, um, I won't be able to to provide the delivery or takeout services to the community or the hospitals or anybody for that matter. Um, so what's going
2: on with the hospitals? How did that all get started?
4: Um, there were... So I try to respond to as many messages as I can. And I get a lot of people like, oh, hey, you know, I'm a nurse. I'm a doctor. I meet, I'm a pharmacist. I'm, you know, this all these healthcare professionals are sending messages into my personal as well as our, our business um, account asking for assistance. And they're just, some of them are just really finding a person to vent to They're like, Hey, you know, I worked X amount of hours. This is what's going on in our unit. The morale is going really, you know, is, is, is going down. We could really use, you know, a warm, you know, comforting meal. And so I started doing very small scale deliveries just based on the first few people that had messaged me and basically based on our capabilities because like I said that first week it was just basically me cooking, cleaning, packing, answering the phone calls, doing the deliveries and as we started to bring back staff and have the support I've um, then had a message one day from a um, drew from frontline and he's like, Hey, you know, I've been a fan of the restaurant and I'm, you know, part of this nonprofit organization. You have a few minutes to talk They're, You know, they're, they're, they're receiving donations from, you know, from private entities. And what they are essentially doing is providing restaurants with resources, uh, monetary resources to bring back their staff. And then in turn, the restaurant can help provide more meals to these hospitals and these healthcare workers. And so We started all very small with about 50 meals a day, um, and then were approached by another um, nonprofit, and then also referred to by another nonprofit. And now, going on our second week, it's Tuesday today. Yesterday, we sent out 245 meals. This week, we're slated for about 1,500 meals between the two nonprofit organizations as well as. Um, some of you know my personal funding and some of the fun you know some of the donations that my partners and friends back home sent, and so I don't know, it's still very new. I'm still trying to figure out the logistics right. and how I'll be able to accommodate because obviously you don't want to say no to anyone, but at the same time, it's been very difficult for me to get out of bed every morning at the time I usually do when I like last night I returned at one am from a midnight delivery. And, uh, this Mm. morning I woke up at six and I just don't want to burn out. You know, I want to be very, I want to be able to continue serving, but also be very conscious and be able to like set aside time to take care of myself. But yeah, Yeah,
1: it's kind of, yeah, it's an impossible situation that people are being put into. You go into this thinking you're going to open a restaurant and instead you end up cooking for frontline workers and working by yourself and It's insane.
4: It's been hard. And I feel like, you know, I'm almost keeping myself busy and distracting myself from. Mm, It's so impossible. I feel like if I just have a moment alone, just to think and absorb about things, I have little breakdowns like this, where I just sit and I think and I cry. And it just, you know, it's not that it's a bad thing. It's, it's okay to be able to process and feel these emotions, but I don't want to perpetuate it. I want to, I, am a firm of believer of, you know, just manifesting certain energy and just, you know, creating, you know, being more in control of, of your mood and your perspective.
2: It must be really hard because I feel like there's so many people trying so many different kind of organizational structures and everyone's got some idea of like, we're going to feed hospital workers. I feel like someone like you that says yes to a lot of those things, you must be getting pulled in like infinite directions.
4: And the numbers keep on going. It's just that every day I, I log on to Instagram on our silent social, social you know, site. It's like, hey, I'm this and hey, I'm that. Before it used to be one a week, you know, one a day. Now it's like I, on average, I get five to six different requests. And I feel so bad because Jeez. a good percentage of them are from small hospitals in Brooklyn or hospitals up in the Bronx or in the Harlem where, you know, people, they don't get the kind of coverage and support that a lot of the Mm -hmm. main hospitals in the city do. And those are the ones that you want to help the most because they don't have the resources. I'm willing to do that. But at the same time, it's like, Oh wait, but I also have dinner service and the community that I've committed to, you know, to take out deliveries. And it's, Important to maintain like continuity and not just be like oh today I'm open tomorrow I'm not oh today I might be closed you know for half of the day but you know I'll be back in a couple hours you know it's um it's hard it's hard but it's you know it's also hard saying no to people because there's a lot of people that are struggling right now and truly need the assistance a lot more than I do.
2: If you commit to bringing a hundred meals or something to a hospital that's not as well covered. Can you then report that back to one of the organizations that you're working with and then have those meals covered financially?
4: Yes. So I actually reached out to my contact over at Frontline. I was like, hey, you know, I've been getting an overwhelming response um, and just people reaching out on through an email and through Instagram. um, And even though they're they're very well funded at this point, I feel like- their resources, you know, are also very limited. There's just so much that they can do because a lot of the contacts that I communicate with are donating their time to this nonprofit and they all have full-time jobs. Right. So, I mean, there may be like, okay, we will take on these three hospitals, but it won't be until maybe two weeks down the line. Whereas it's like, well, if I have a slow lunch period on Thursday, I want to go to that hospital on Thursday and not have to wait for things to be entered into the system and be looped in through like a process, right?
2: And how much, how much can they actually provide per meal?
4: Um, it's been ranging. There's, you know, some organizations offer $10 a meal. Some offer, organizations offer up to $17 a meal. And, you know, a lot of the hospitals, from my understanding, um, their cafeterias have completely shut down. And prior to the shutdown, they're getting just sandwiches and just very, very simple um, soups and you know different breads. And when I think about it, it's just like these are the people that are helping our city, that are helping. You know, these they're 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 risking their life every day coming into work, working long hours just as long as we are in the kitchen, and they also more than anyone deserve. A nice meal to be able to sit down and just enjoy something that was you know that was made with a lot more love and care you know more so than just like a salad that you get from the cafeteria but although you know the budget is there and the help is there i just feel as though that you know it's just you know when you account for the labor costs and all the other costs that we have to deal with at the end of the day it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's a lot more substantial than what we're getting in Mm-hmm. but we're doing our best to try to make everything work
1: aside from the hospital work and the, the charity. And then the, I guess the delivery business, is there any other support your business can get? Are you able to apply for any of the stimulus relief funds or are you not eligible because you don't have a payroll right now? How does that work? Yeah, within so new business?
4: It's been really exciting to see all these relief funds that are available, but unfortunately we aren't eligible just because i believe there's um two two funds were they're like if you were if you were in business prior to i think it was mid-february but with us we were in such like a you know like a like a weird position with you know with gas and with opening and just not knowing what like the official date was going to be we didn't have anything established until much later on in march and for that reason we we just, you know, we just didn't make the cut for a lot of the grants and a lot of the help that is available just because we weren't open um, and operating as a, a fully functional restaurant yet.
1: Mm, that
2: sucks. Well, are you going to, you know, when we're through and back when we're in, you know, boom times, are you going to permit yourself to have a real opening day, an opening night?
4: Absolutely. Just, Absolutely. I mean everyone that comes by to pick up food, they peek through the window and they're like, oh, you know, we, we can't wait to be able to sit down. And I'm like, I'm, I can't wait to personally serve people. I mean, like we, we, we built the restaurant with an open kitchen in mind so that we can provide that experience, not only just for the staff, but also, um, you know, for the consumers where they can be able to like, oh, you know, my food's being made. I can watch, you know, my meat being grilled or my soup, you know, being scooped out. And, and just being able to have people in enjoying like the atmosphere, I, I for sure am going to have a, an official grand opening date where we can officially celebrate as a full service restaurant and not just a takeout window where we have to stay six to 10 feet apart and, you, you know, have to really focus to be able to hear what people are mumbling through like the masks, you know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we very much look forward to that day. Thank you so much for sharing your story
1: with us and for all the hard work you're putting in. It's it's truly incredible.
4: Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I hope to have you both in one of these days when things are back to normal. <laughs> oh, we will be there.
0: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is
2: Amanda Klute, this is the, the time in the show where we touch on everything else that's going on in the world. Um, it's been said that we are able by many people, many people have said this, that we are able to keep to bring people some light amongst the darkness. And although we are here for levity, having said that this isn't the good news show. OK, because no. I don't like that either. All right. yeah, are we caveating too much? Should we just get into it? Well, what else? Yeah, sure. I mean, let's jump. in. I think so. Let's talk about the the big major. Well, there's infinite major concerns. But uh, one of the things that I've seen a lot is is people are very worried about the the supply chain. Um, what's the story with pork?
1: Well, I just want to say I don't I don't think any of the experts are really worried about us running out of food. Right. I don't want to make people panic. I think the worry is we will run out of. The varieties of foods that we're used to.
2: Yeah. You know, like
1: you might not be able to get all the things you usually get.
2: I don't know why you had to make this about me, but okay. (laughs) You're like, I was so, I thought for sure you were going to be like, you're not going to have your, you know, 4 p.m. Bruschido de Parma or whatever. Well, for
1: sure. (laughs) (laughs)
2: No, I don't do that. okay? Uh,
1: Okay. So your question was about the pork. I think the situation with the pork is a lot of these pork processing plants, especially Smithfield Uh, had to shut down because there are outbreaks with the workers there. And I think that's going to continue to happen. I think it happened at a poultry processing plant as well. And so there's plenty of meat out there in cold storage for people to eat, but it is a big disruption to the supply chain. Um, It means people who need to get their pigs processed aren't getting paid. There are a lot of issues there. And then down the line, eventually, will there be will it be hard to get pork not right now but but later
2: and a lot of produce a lot of a lot of huge supplies of food have had to be thrown out i think it's just important to remember when you call something a supply chain it's a chain and you know sadly when we're dealing with these huge industrial food processing systems it's like one person one institution grows it one moves it one packages it and if one of those breaks down then what started at a farm doesn't reach the the buyer for any any number of reasons.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's also a bummer for small farms where their only clients have become restaurants. Yeah. Um, and then they don't have a market for their stuff. And there's, you know, all of our different sites are covering which wholesalers are now doing home delivery. But even if you are able to pivot, it's not going to make up for a lot of that business. No. So you have a lot of farmers that are just um, not even harvesting their fava beans, you know, or whatever the vegetable is that's growing right now in their region. Yeah. And just like turning over the fields for hopefully next season. Yeah. I feel like as promised, we should get into some levity and then maybe back into some more serious stuff.
2: All right. So what do do you think? Yeah. Let's cruise. Let's cruise through the. uh, Do you want
1: to tell me about like Martha Stewart's Instagram comments or something? I feel like that's probably. Sure.
2: I mean, I don't, we don't need to, we don't need to dive too deep into Martha Stewart's Instagram comments, but. She, uh, if you're not following Martha Stewart on Instagram, um, it's just such a, it's such a special thing in the world when some, when we're so used to these celebrities who have these very controlled accounts by, you know, someone else, by their agents, you know, maybe occasionally they'll get a comment in that's clearly from them. But Martha Stewart, you know, she definitely went on to Instagram.com and signed up as Martha Stewart and no one else has had control of that
1: account. (laughs) No, she's always been great at this kind of, Honesty. Yeah. She always has posted bad photos online pre-Instagram. She had a blog where she would just use her point and shoot to post blurry photos of her dinners. It's just like, <laughs> it's her vibe and I love it. Yeah, I love it. It's So great. what- So you haven't seen what this? What did she do? You haven't seen this? I have not. I've seen the headlines. I've not
2: seen. Okay. This one, she commented on the best little house, the best little hen house in Texas. Uh, and it's a photo of some like little hens, I guess, or chicks. And it, the, the the caption is, it's remarkable how fast these chicks turn into chickens. It took less than two weeks for them to outgrow their brooder. And we have and we've had to move them to larger digs. Good thing, too, because round two of chicks, blah, blah, blah is arriving. Uh, um, and Martha Stewart comments. I'm going to do my best to read this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a kind of a blurry photo of some chicks, two week old chicks. Sure.
1: It's on somebody else's account and she's leaving a comment. Yes. On Instagram.
2: Okay. Uh M. As me sure you feed and water them daily and keep the heat less as no BKS as ND when you can finally come back to NYC, who is going to care for them?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Question mark, question mark.
2: (laughs) Next comment. Cry, laugh, face. What a mess I have been drinking.
1: (laughs) 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 Oh, my God, I love it. There's so many misspellings in that, too. Oh, it's
2: a disaster. Yeah. I I, I mean, I think what she's...
1: She tweeted later that um, this was because it was a voice-activated Instagram <laughs> response. <laughs> <laughs> Confession. Yes, I had two glasses of wine with my detainees, a very, very good wine, when I composed a voice-activated IG response to my friend, Douglas Friedman. Hmm. Obviously, I did not check it. <laughs>
2: So I don't want to play. I don't want to be a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist here, but I don't know if she's got an iPhone. Uh, my experience with the iPhone is when you do voice memos, uh huh. It the problem is you get random words. It interpret, but it it does its best to co- to create complete sentences. Like,
1: oh, you're saying the misspellings don't. Yeah, if really you're doing voice up. to
2: text, it's not going it to misspell would not words. Misspell it's just going to sound strange and robotic. Wow.
1: So you don't buy it.
2: I, I don't. I mean, I frankly like <laughs> listen. I don't want to get crazy. I don't buy that. She used the voice. To
1: text she you. was just drunk texting,
2: which is on, a strange. Yeah, which is a strange, strange attempt to cover it up. But I mean, listen, it's fine. Maybe she just
1: doesn't remember.
2: I don't think it goes deeper with her with Martha. I don't I'm not going to claim that she's part of anything larger, that this is a representative <laughs> of any kind. Of it's not
1: a scandal. bigger conspiracy. Okay, so I want to segue into another celebrity on social media. Oh, okay. That celebrity is Justin Thoreau. Right. Feeding his dog mini versions of whatever he has been eating. And he has been eating pretty well. I think he joined the, like, Blue Hill at Stone Barn CSA. Or maybe, no, Blue Hill in the West Village CSA. Yeah. And has been feeding his doggy. Cute dog. Also, I like that he, in his picture online, he dressed up in a suit and has his dog with a little bow tie on.
2: Yeah. What do you... Yeah. You're... I mean, he seems like an awesome guy. It's a very cute dog. Are, are you worried at all? Like...
1: It's not... I don't think it's the best thing for dog's digestion to feed them restaurant food. Um, But what do I know? I don't own a dog. I don't... I don't know. Blue
2: Hill do- is... Is on another level, though. I have yeah. Con- if any restaurant food will work for both humans and dogs, I think it's Blue Hill.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely showing off excess at a time when people are struggling and dying. But
2: all right, whoa.
1: <laughs> but on that, but on the spectrum of celebrities and wealthy people doing that, I don't think this is the worst one because there's a a level of humor to it. Yeah, you know, there are a lot of celebrities getting criticized for saying like, oh, I'm in quarantine and they're on their mega yacht in the Caribbean. Uh, (laughs) And we talked about Madonna last week, of course. But this is like along those lines, you're, you know, it's Blue Hill food for a dog. But it's funny because he's wearing a bow tie. So I'll give it a pass.
2: Yeah, I mean, dogs like listen, unless we're going to get crazy and not feed dogs, dogs are going to have to eat, too. Um, I'm happy that Justin, like, who knows what's going to happen with this Blue Hill food if Justin throws is not, I mean, I'm happy that he's supporting Blue Hill. It's a good institution. I think like, obviously we're talking about, there's a lot of food going to waste right now. So I think you could make a case. So this
1: is the only ethical thing to do.
2: I just think, listen, if we're here being like support, if you listen, it's 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 a privileged position to be able to have the option to support the restaurants that we love. Like the fact that we can have that mindset, like I want to go out and support the restaurants I love because that's what they need from me right now is one a wonderful privileged position to be in. But he's doing that. Like, I think he's acknowledging what it, you know, I think he's being a little bit self-aware. Listen to me. I was like trying to bash him and I mean, not really bash him. But uh, you were gonna bash him? No, I was wondering. I mean, I, we can't. You can't just bring up something like this and not be like, "Hey, Amanda, uh, is this bad? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I I ran it through my thing. It seems all right. The dog's cute. I like Blue <laughs> Hill. I don't know. <laughs> but what are the red flags here? <laughs> I mean, what are the red flags? I don't know. I'm just saying they're using the money they're getting from that food to pay their staff. That money is going back into the system. Those staff need the money. They're good people. I think it's a defensible thing. Like I think, I think you could make a case that someone could just buy like a bunch of Blue Hill food and then feed it to a bunch of dogs. I don't mean that would be ridiculous. (laughs) I'm sorry. I want to take that. I'm I'm not actually going to take it. It's fine. I'm just talking. I mean, through I was gonna here.
1: suggest you edit this part out until you said that, and now, now we're gonna
2: keep it. <laughs> we're
1: gonna keep it. I listen. I was like, oh, we're losing it. He's he's rambling. Here we go. But uh, you saved it.
2: <laughs> Woo! You, you yeah. saved
1: the segment. Okay. We're gonna so have to feed want, the segment
2: to the dog. Okay. That
1: said, I would like to move on. This is not a perfect segue, but Dan Barber, who owns
2: Blue Hill, It's a pretty good segue. Did,
1: It's uh, yeah, did an interview uh this week. So Dan Barber says the world of processed capital B, capital F, big food was about to fall apart. There was a new era that was much less centralized and much more regional. Now everyone is staying home. There's a return to efficient food, food that you can eat without thinking about it. Big food is saying we're back and we're not going to lose this time. That to me is a disaster.
2: It's in a Weird way. It's nice to hear that he was optimistic before because I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know. Well, he
1: does. He also goes on to say in the interview that he is optimistic that this can be a paradigm shift. We do have an opportunity to change our relationship with food. And he thinks the farm to table idea was flawed because it wasn't. A lot of what they were doing with restaurants wasn't really connecting enough of the consumers with the farmers. So a lot of the farmers only had restaurants as their clients. And that becomes a problem um, if something gets disrupted there. Related to that, I read an article this morning about how a similar trend is going to happen with Beer and how all these craft breweries and tiny breweries are struggling and maybe will go out of business. And it's an opportunity for the major brewers to just move in, consolidate, kind of win in this tragic moment. Quote from a Goldman Sachs analyst We see Sam, which is the ticker symbol of Sam Adams, uh, as a key potential beneficiary in the event of widespread craft brewery closures, which could result in greater shelf slash cooler space at retail for Sam. So they are already um, looking at this in an opportunistic way, of course.
2: Up next, I am talking to Eve Beatty, um, the news editor of Eater SF, to give us a breakdown of everything that's going on in the delivery app and delivery world right now. All right. So um, to start with, there is a, a lawsuit coming. It's coming out of New York, I believe, yes. taking aim at the, the at a bunch of different delivery companies. Yeah. So could you could you explain it?
3: Okay. So what this lawsuit is claiming is that consumers, and yeah. that's who are the plaintiffs. It's three consumers who live in New York right now, but have lived in other cities in the U.S., and they're all saying that they. And other members of this class action, should more people choose to join, have been paying artificially inflated prices at restaurants, either as dine in patrons. Right. That means when you go in and you sit down, or as delivery patrons. Okay. And they're saying that people have been paying those artificially inflated prices since April of 2016. The case is claiming that delivery apps are the reason that the prices are inflated.
2: Gotcha. Because gotcha. delivery
3: apps are charging restaurants. In many cases, uh, if you order something from a restaurant for delivery, the commission fee on that is somewhere between twenty and thirty percent.
2: What is the law that this is actually based on? Like, how 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 do they even have any kind of footing to stand on here?
3: Well, they have a couple. They're they're making a couple of different claims. They're claiming that delivery apps are using anti-competitive tactics. Um, mm-hmm. They're claiming that price fixing is involved, hmm. which means that you know restaurants are forced to have the same price for delivery food as dine-in food, which I'm not not—I'm not a lawyer. Um, I don't know how valid that is, but when we talk about price fixing, typically what we're talking about is like all the gas stations get together and say, we're gonna charge the same amount of money per gallon so people don't shop around. Right. Um, but in this case, it's like, you're going to get charged the same if you get, you know, a jumbled up cold thing of fried chicken in a box as you go and sit down at a restaurant and get a beautifully plated piece of fried chicken.
2: Right, right, right. And, and what is the act that this is based on?
3: It's called the Sherman Act. But that, that's a, the Sherman Act is, in general is something that's intended to um, prohibit price fixing. Okay. Does it apply here? Once again, that would re- require someone with more legal knowledge than I have to make that argument.
2: So, as a consumer, I am suing, let's just say, big delivery. Yeah. For all of the differential I have paid at restaurants and all of the food that has been delivered to me that is built in because of the fees those companies are charging restaurants. Exactly. To handle their delivery.
3: Exactly. So. Yeah.
2: I'm trying to say, hey, big delivery, because of you, I've been paying a lot more for my restaurant food since April of 2016. I want that money back. Yeah. So what could happen if the lawsuit gets uh, the lawsuit seems to be getting attention? Like what could happen if it uh, gets gets bigger and, uh, you know, really becomes a, a thing?
3: Well, so the lawsuit is getting attention, but you know, I would just sort of argue as a cynical person yeah. that this is a good time for the lawsuit to get attention and make headlines because all of us in the business right now, delivery apps are very zeitgeisty. Being angry at delivery apps is very zeitgeisty. Right. So it's attention, and I include myself in this as a reporter, it might be disproportionate to how seriously we should take this case. Okay. But say say this whole thing is for real. And, um, you know, they get Al Pacino from the devil's advocate to run the game. Um, If so, then what that means is that everyone who has either eaten in the dining room of a restaurant that has a contract with a delivery app or anyone who's gotten delivery from a delivery app since April of 2016 could request thrice damages. So three times the damages for the inflated and additional fees that they would not have to pay. How that would be calculated is something that I do not know. It is not clear from the court filing.
2: It would be amazingly difficult to calculate something like that. But
3: also, I think the thing is, and this is not me saying like, oh, what about the poor tech companies? But I think something important to remember is Grubhub's a public company. So you know they have shareholders to appease. Uber Eats is, as part of Uber, a public company. But DoorDash and Postmates are VC funded, and given what's going on with the economy, that runway could go out, go go away at any time yeah. too. So you know, a huge settlement could potentially cripple some of these companies, and I'm not just saying that frivolously because um, you know the other thing that we should probably talk about are moves to legislate caps on those commissions. And uh, the argument that I am told by many of my sources that these delivery apps are presenting is that if their commission fees are capped, that these companies are going to go under. So if things are that tough that they can't handle losing, say, taking 10% or 15% off what they're charging restaurants right now, and for whatever reason they don't believe that they can pass that on to the consumer, then they're in a pretty tough place.
2: It's not fun to be someone being like, yeah, but think about all of the overhead that Caviar has. They have to ensure their drivers, their bikers, they have like a massive infrastructure to support that no one wants to be the one defending them right now as they seem to be um, this like a slow suck on the lifeblood of what is remaining of the restaurant industry.
3: Yeah well and and that too and you know they've they've had especially in the state of California which as of the beginning of this year initiated this sort of these laws that really really formally require many people who do gig work on a regular basis to yeah. be reclassified as employees in California, all of these delivery apps have been very vociferous in fighting that, which of course they have because their business models, just as the business models for Instacart and the business models for Uber and Lyft right. are predicated on not having to pay these people like employees. Yeah. So when you're talking about overhead, think about how bad the overhead's going to be if they have to actually hire all those drivers and pay benefits on them and do all the other stuff you have to do when you have actual employees.
2: Uh, If we were to throw on our conspiracy theorist hats for a sec, do 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 you think that these three consumers could just be proxies of some major restaurant stakeholders?
3: Thinking generally about lawsuits and how lawsuits work, a lot of times people think, well, this would be a great lawsuit to have. Now we have to find someone to actually claim that they've been damaged by it, so we have standing to sue. Mm-hmm. And um, like a great example of that would be like, you know, if you're talking about uh, the lawsuit to oppose uh, same-sex marriage in California, the uh, religious groups cast about for a very long time until they could find someone who would claim that they were damaged and harmed by it, and that's who they got to sort of move that lawsuit forward.
2: Hmm.
3: So that okay. happens. That that is not an unheard of thing for people, especially if it's a um, lawsuit that has a sort of idealistic aspect to it, which one could argue that a lawsuit about restaurants and the complicated relationship they have with delivery apps, there's an ideal- idealistic aspect to that.
2: Exciting times for observers of the people versus the delivery apps. Yeah. Okay, great. Eve, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time.
3: Of course. Uh, thank you.
2: Amanda, we are back. We're back. We're
1: back. So, Daniel, Yeah. it is smack dab the middle of April. I'm in New York. We're not Things aren't going to change in New York for a while, considering we're such a hot zone of this outbreak. But different regions are talking about what things might look like when they reopen and talking about potential dates for when they might reopen. Dates! That's right, dates. For example, Santa Cruz, California is talking about allowing gatherings of 10 people or less, which big deal, on May 4th and could go up to 50 people or less in a couple of months. DC is thinking about mid-May for some sort of gradual loosening of the constraints. Um, And Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, is talking about what a statewide gradual reopening might look like.
2: Uh, Yeah, um, maybe this is an obvious point, but I think something we we talked about was it's important to accept as a reality there is no great on switch that they're going to switch. No, no, no. I'm sure some cities, when they're doing this, uh, are, are going to start operating at 50% capacity again. I don't know. It's it's
1: everybody in the restaurant's going to have to wear masks.
2: Yeah, the it is going to be a different world for a while. What do you think? I mean, I've been seeing a lot of people talking about being in a restaurant with a mask, getting approached by a server in a mask and gloves. Yeah, does that kill the magic of restaurants for you? A
1: lot of the California restaurant community response has been talking about that because Gavin Newsom has been saying that, you know, everyone's going to have to be wearing masks and we're going to have to operate at 50% capacity. And so if you have a fine dining restaurant and your whole focus is about creating this escapist environment that's very luxurious, the mask (laughs) kind of kills the vibe. (laughs) Yeah, And then you have restaurants that, you know, it only has 10 seats and they have to be full all the time for the operation to work. So some of these businesses just don't make sense at 50%. Um, I got an email from a listener this week saying that you know the 50% idea is going to destroy everybody. It's going to be a slow death, he says, for some and a quick one for others. Yeah, uh, He thinks we should have point of entry testing, which seems like a great idea. I just don't trust that. Our government will have anything like that ready to go. Uh, I don't know. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be wild to watch. It's gonna be wild to go to a restaurant for the first time yeah. when everyone's masked up, and I'm sure the diners have to be masked up. And
2: I'll be just there. Asking I'll tell you, you that. About like <laughs> I'll, well, first of all, let me say I will be there because, like, how do you take bites? If they are telling us to wear masks in restaurants, they're accepting. Like, they're not gonna just say we can sit at a table and and eat together but actually not eat because you can't take the mask off like it's accepted that we're gonna take the mask off yeah i mean i don't have a plan i don't know are people gonna like i thought you
1: were gonna have like a damn style yeah idea
2: i'll tell you what a bandana has the most open bottom i don't know yeah like uh straws straws can work straws are gonna be are gonna be great it's not gonna be a fun place for those people who have the very intense gas mask that will be awkward (laughs) That is not someone I'm, I want to see. Actually, I don't want to see those people. Not super flexible. <laughs> I want
1: to see those people anywhere. Anywhere. Have you been those people?
2: Yes. Yeah. Really? I assume they're all preppers or painters. I don't know. Or, you know, woodworkers. I mean, not woodworkers. Like, uh, they do welding. I have welding. not
1: seen that at all.
2: Yeah, I'm seeing them a fair amount. And listen, if you wow. are wearing one of those and you're not doing, like, very intense graffiti or trying to find the cure for cancer, then please take it off. I mean, don't take it off because you're helping to spread and you're whatever. So it's good, but it scares... Yeah, keep it on. Keep it on. <laughs> yeah, don't take it off. And also don't listen to anything I say <laughs> if it's relevant. It's just
1: so funny. I have not seen... I mean, in Brooklyn, it's just all medical masks and home-sewn, cute, Etsy-style shit.
2: Cute. Okay. let's. What do you think about eating with a mask?
1: Well, I I think... It's just going to be weird, but you'll just take it off when you eat, put it back on. I don't know.
2: No, 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 but you can't, right? You can't take it off, put it on the table, put it back on. I think you can. I think it'll be fine. We mean be fine. But again, a big problem here is like, who are we doing it for? You know, if in our head, I if if, it's important that like it comes from a place of I want to keep this mask on as long and and for as much, with as much efficacy as I possibly can, because I want to help prevent the spread of this virus. Not they're telling me to keep it on in restaurants. So like, uh oh, eating time, it's coming off because I can. I don't know. I really don't freaking have any idea.
1: Well, then how are you going to eat?
2: I imagine. So until this moment, I imagined having it on using my like thumb and forefinger to pull it off my chin and then fork underneath and then bite let it go. And then I'm chewing with the mask on. Huh? Is that crazy?
1: I mean, I'm just really hoping to get these antibody tests out so that maybe I can pass the test and someone can give me some sort of like certificate. I can just show people. Yeah. Like I'm good.
2: All right, Amanda, you got to go. So let's run through quickly what we have left on the list. Uh, The white house announced their list of uh, restaurant advisors to help the Trump administration um, interface m- more intelligently with the food industry, and uh, the the media world was wasn't happy with the list. It's a all no old men and some food fine media. Twitter is very
1: upset, justifiably so. It's a yeah, it's a bunch of fast food CEOs, and Daniel Blue, John George, Thomas Keller, and Wolfgang Puck. Is there, yeah. I don't even think there's a woman on this list. No, there's no or women person of on color. List. It's just, it's, I mean, it's not surprising to me. It's just a complete and total bummer.
2: I just don't think it's a thing to even get mad at. It's just like,
1: yeah, it's just like, okay, more of the obviously. same, Obviously, complete opposite kind of story. There's a micro trend we're noticing across the restaurant industry, which is people delivering food and or drinks to their customers via buckets uh from the top of a building down to the sidewalk bucket on a rope thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of eater's digest thank you dan for producing and co-hosting and editing
2: oh uh, that's okay and thank you to alan Wynn for checking in and yeah talking about what she's going through and everything that she does thank you to eat Beatty, and uh, we will see you next week